This is episode number 35 with Steve Mayhair of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amorosa, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Founder Podcast. My name is Nathan Chan and I'm coming to you live from windy and sunny Melbourne, Australia. It's super windy right now, guys, and I'm not sure if you can hear that wind in the background. I hope not. But uh, yeah, that's that's Melbourne weather for you. It's a little bit like London, many seasons in one day. I'm really, really excited about what's been happening in my world at the moment. To be honest, I've been so busy. Well, I don't even like to say the word busy. That's a bad word to say because everyone's busy, right? But, you know, I've had a lot of things going on. I'm getting so many emails and, and I'm loving hearing from you all and I'm struggling to manage it all. We've got, we, uh, we just launched a, a magazine issue with uh, Deepak Chopra and that was one of our quickest issues we've ever put together. We brought that out from idea to concept in 10 days and, uh, yeah, that almost killed, killed me and, and the team, but uh, we got there and it was an amazing outcome. And it's about the importance of meditation for entrepreneurs, which I have mentioned before, I'm actually quite big on. But uh, yeah, look, things are going really, really well in terms of what's happening with Founder. I found, I've discovered that we turned two on March 5th of this year and uh, we launched March 5th, 2013. And we've come a long way. We've been working quite silently underground and for a long time, nobody had ever heard of us. And it's really been these past six months that we've really picked up this massive snowball effect where we're starting to get on a lot of people's radar and, you know, we're driving a lot of traffic and we're, you know, kicking some, a lot of goals right now. And I'm really starting to feel like this success is coming through that I've been working so hard to achieve. And uh, I just wanted to share that with you guys because, you know, I'm I'm with you here. I I this founder's my first business, as you know, and 
you know, I'm learning every day too. And I just wanted to share that it's taken us two years for me to actually feel like, yeah, uh, we are getting some good traction now and I am struggling to keep up. So I, you know, I'm going to be bringing on a full-time virtual assistant. I'm going to be bringing more people onto the team to, to help manage what we have going on. But it's really, really exciting. Long story short, really exciting things happening. And let's talk about today's guest. His name is Stephen Mayher, and he's a friend that I connected with over Instagram, funnily enough. We are getting a lot of traction on Instagram at the moment. Uh, we only started working on our Instagram page under five months ago, and we're almost at 100,000 followers that are part of our community on Instagram, and it's super engaged. We're building a massive tribe there, and uh, part of that, you know, I had to you know, do a lot of networking and a lot of business development. And I met Steve and he runs an account called Agent Steven. And he also recently wrote this epic book on goal setting. And I wanted to catch up with Steve, hear his story because he's he's a multimillionaire and he's doing a lot of cool stuff. And he's somebody that has achieved a life that most of us are working towards achieving. And he's not a big online entrepreneur and you probably you know if you follow the blogosphere you probably would have never have heard of Steve but uh, there's a lot to be learned from him and I'm really really excited to share with you this interview on just basic cold hard business advice from somebody that has built many successful businesses and is kicking some serious goals and has a very interesting story to share. So there's a lot you're going to take from this one. I'm really, really excited to, to, sh to share it with you. And I really enjoyed Steve and I's conversation. There will be a link in the show notes to his book and within the blog post. If you want to check it out, I highly recommend you do. It's a short, quick read. And I I love the book and it's so spot on. I cannot recommend it enough. So if you are enjoying these episodes, please do leave us a five-star review. Please do check out the magazine. It's the fruits of our labor. And yeah, I'd love to hear from you all. If you need any help with anything, I'm here to help. Giving out my email. I'm getting too many emails, but that's fine. I'm here to help you guys, here to serve however I can. Nathan at foundermag.com. Now let's jump into the show. How did you start doing the work you're doing today? Can you run us through your journey? Yeah, definitely. You know, obviously currently my, my day job is uh, CEO of an ad agency in California. You know, how I got here really came down to in really almost every business I've ever owned. One of the largest line item expenses that I had was advertising and marketing. You know, that advertising and marketing expense was, uh, you know, always significant. And in the few businesses I had prior to starting my own ad advertising agency, you know, I was spending millions of dollars on marketing, you know, the, the businesses that I owned. So, you know, a lot of things led up to, you know, me selling my law firm, which is, you know, the business I had direct, you know, right before my current job. And, you know, when it was time to decide, you know, to exit the law firm, you know, naturally, you know, I was drawn to the marketing and advertising space. And I, and just like, you know, most entrepreneurs, you know, they kind of have a little bit of a cocky attitude in that, you know, you think to yourself, hey, I could do this better, better than the guy I was paying millions of dollars to. I could do a better job than him. So I really set out to do it better. 
you know, it's a lot of trial and error and it, and it, and it took some time, but, uh, you know, we hit our stride and found our niche and we grew extremely fast and, uh, we're one of the larger ad agencies for professional service firms, such as law firms or doctors, architects, CPAs, that type of a thing. So we don't do really e-commerce marketing, but if you have a professional service firm, that's kind of you know where we fit in. And we're one of the larger players in California in that space. Oh, wow. And when did you start Web360? So WebShark360, I started it actually the the first few pieces of it were put together while I still own my own law firm. And I kind of, uh, because we, we were spending so much money on, on advertising and marketing and, and capturing clients, I put the first few pieces in place inside the law firm. And as my law firm grew quickly and we became well-known, I had a lot of other attorneys at the time come to me and say, hey, can you handle our advertising, our marketing? We see you guys are doing a good job and uh, you're growing really fast. So uh, while I had my law firm, we actually brought on some clients that were, you know, other law firms. And through that, you know, I said, well, you know what, let's just kind of treat this as, as its own little company. This was probably back in end of 2009, maybe 2010. So we just brought on clients it got the benefit of being in my existing organizations in order to keep its overhead low. And uh, that, that's kind of how it started. So when I sold my law firm in 2011, you know, I didn't sell the marketing component or the marketing piece of it. And I took that and I bought a building, spun it off and really, you know, created something, even though I didn't have the full client base yet, but I created something with the expectation that I could really take this thing to the next level and, provide a value-added service that you're just not getting out there. Unfortunately, with a lot of marketing, as you know, or everybody you talk to, they just take your money, but it's almost impossible to really see what you're getting in return. Mm. And different ad agencies have different business models, but a lot of times, you know, some of the people I was working with in the past, I mean, they put 50%, 70% of the money in their pocket. I mean, very little was actually spent on whether it's TV, radio, print, internet. So it's, it's a space that the margins were high. There wasn't any real player that handled both traditional media and digital media, meaning that you can go to and have TV commercial shot or radio spot shot. They do the media buying for you. And at the same time, they'd handle your web campaigns and your web marketing. And that's you know, so what we do is the reason it's called WebShark 360 is we offer you know, the full suite, the full 360 degree of services. So you know, at first when we were doing that, it was more or less not really being done across the industry. You know, you have the digital marketing agencies and then you have the more old media traditional agencies. The old media traditional agencies were really contracting out the digital marketing and then the digital marketing guys were contracting out the, you know, the production and the TV and all, and, and all of those things. So there was really no one place that you could have gone that handled really everything in-house for, for a reasonable fee. I see. And I'm curious... When it came to your law, your law firm, why did you sell it? And uh, can you tell us around how that business started? You know, going back, you know, I started my first uh, business when I was 16 years old. It actually, you know, I came across a wholesale catalog and it had a pair of six by nine speakers in it. And they, I think they were like pile brand for $90. 
And I'm like, you know, I bet you I could sell these things for a little bit more at school to the rich kids. So <laughs> I got about $90 in Christmas money and I ordered a pair of these speakers and I, and I you know, and, and within a week I sold them for $150 in high school. And that's kind of how my first business started. And uh, from there, when I graduated high school, I was about 18 years old. I wanted to open a retail store and not go to college, not go to school. And that caused a lot of controversy in my family. There's a lot of engineers and doctors and they weren't having that. You know, it, it created a lot of tension. Mm. And basically, I ended up uh, moving out. But I made a promise to my father at the time that I, I would go to school at night and pursue my education. So I moved out. I opened a small retail store and, you know, worked seven days a week. Slowly, you know, it took off, started to grow. It was pretty aggressive from a, both a marketing standpoint, which kind of brings me back to the whole, the, the whole marketing bit, you know, spent a lot of money on, on advertising and marketing, trying to break into the market. I had a roommate, my personal expenses were at a bare min minimum. So really, you know, every dollar I was making was going back into marketing the business and growing it. Mm. So during that time, you know, my education, even though I went to college at night, eventually led me to law school. And I went to law school at night, you know, it was a four year program, got out and Around that time, I graduated in 2001. Around that time, I was a little bit bored with, with the electronics business, and I ended up selling uh, the businesses, which had turned into multiple retail stores, a wholesale warehouse. We had an uh, online presence as well, sold the internet-based business, and uh, got into law. So when I first started, it was uh, you know really just me, myself. That slowly grew had a partner for a while and didn't have a partner, but, you know, really focused on being a little bit technologically advanced compared to most law firms. Um, at the time, a lot of law firms weren't paperless and they were just doing, they didn't have good, you know, CRM software. And, and because of my, you know, one, my age and two, my business background, you know, I, I kind of brought best business practices, but not really like law firm business practices, but actual, you know, real business practices to the law firm. And that helped create a very strong foundation. You know, it grew the firm. And basically when my son was born, he's six years old now, he came out really premature. So, and this is back in 2010. Um, 2010. When did you start the law firm? Started. The, I, I got in the law around 2006. Okay. And had you... Like, because you said you were doing night school studying law, that would have taken a long time. Uh, did you have okay, any experience? Right. Yeah, so I graduated high school in 1994. I'm 38 years old right now. So, did the electronics, consumer electronics. Um, you know, made really good money at it. Became a millionaire off of that business. I uh, went to school at night. Got into real estate. So, you know, there was a lot of different businesses going on. I always had two or three businesses being incubated, and most of them ended up being successful. I've sold probably a dozen businesses, I'd say, and, you know, more than six or seven of them for, you know, over a million dollars. So, and at the time, you know, between 2001 and 2003, I sold off all my electronics businesses. So I started law school in 1997. I graduated in 2001 and I still had the electronics businesses. So once I sold them, you know, for a while, I was just doing real estate and different projects and doing some consulting work. And then I ended up getting into law around 2004 with a partner that didn't really work out. So 2006, I opened my own operation. And from 2006, just, just worked like, you know, just all the way up from, you know, really the day I struck out on my own when I was 18 was, you know, I was essentially working seven days a week, not always the most efficient, but you know, what I didn't understand, I just made up by sheer 
drive and uh, hours. You know, in 2010, I had a premature. My baby came out premature, so he was two pounds, and he wasn't supposed to live. And there was all sorts of health issues. And at that time, you know, I was just a machine. You know, I mean, just an absolute machine, working seven days a week, barely ever taking a vacation, and you know, I don't know how much you know about lawyers, but you're extremely stressed out all the time. You're dealing with everybody else's problems. Looking back on it, that was really the turning point in my life. You know, basically I I made my wife a promise and I said, you know, look, we're going to pull through this and everything's going to be okay. And the minute it's okay, I'm going to sell everything. Basically, I don't really need to work, but you know, I'm going to get into something that's, is not going to consume me the way all my prior businesses had consumed me up until that point in time. So, you know, fast forward, my child's fine now. He's healthy. He's wonderful. He had a few surgeries for some different issues that you have when you're, when you're born that early, but you know, he speaks multiple languages. He's purple belt in Taekwondo. He's, there's no developmental issues. So he ended up being fine, but he was actually on oxygen though, till he was seven months old. So when he came off oxygen, I actually just got the clearance from the doctor to fly. We took a 41 day trip to Europe And during that trip to Europe, I said, you know what, it's time to sell this business and I'm going to pull the trigger on it. You know, a lot of people thought I was crazy because I was making really good money. You know, it was a difficult decision. It was a life-changing decision, you know, and I just knew that I couldn't put those kind of resources or that kind of effort any longer into operating that type of a business. You know, the reality is different businesses require different types of both physical and emotional energy. And the law firm is the type that, you know, the emotional energy it requires is extremely high. And, uh, you know, I had, I want to say eight attorneys, 30 something staff, multi, you know, an office in San Francisco, one in, you know, where we're located just outside of, uh, Los Angeles and Irvine, you know, really required my presence there all the time. So, uh, you know, I set out to, you know, create something that basically would give me control back of my life. So that was kind of the trigger to sell the law firm. And when I, when I did sell the law firm, you know, I started, you know, WebShark 360 full time, more or less to capitalize on the knowledge and the information that I had built up internally and to really, you know, master the marketing side of things. Because, you know, I thought to myself, if you can master the marketing side, then you could really come in and out of different businesses and different business models fairly efficiently and easily. And my specialty is kind of scaling businesses. That's something I'm very good at. So mm. um, I thought, you know, you, you master the marketing, then it's easy to get into a business that when you see an opportunity because you already have the marketing machine set up. And yeah, so that, that that's kind of when I made the change. Yeah, wow. Look, there's a lot I want to unpack here, man. Um, <laughs> look, we, we've gone up and back quite a lot. You know, I have a lot of respect for you as an entrepreneur. First things first is, I guess... How did you gauge that, you know, it was, it was time to move on? You said, you said it was, you know, you made a promise to your wife and the stuff, complications you had with your son early days. At what point did you say, you know, enough is enough, you know, I need to, me to move on and, and, and move on to this other business and then start up another one? Like what, what point did you gauge that? It's never an easy decision. You know, one thing that I've been good at compared to maybe some other entrepreneurs is that I've always had also other businesses being incubated. So even while I had my law firm, you know, I was doing, 
you know, developing software for law firms, you know, and I, you know, like I said, I was incubating the marketing company within the law firm. I was doing different real estate projects. I was taking on some consulting work. So while, you know, all those things weren't my main income source, it does give you a certain flexibility that maybe you wouldn't have otherwise. And part of that is just because I'm so, I can't sit still. So that's probably part of the reason why, you know, I always have multiple projects going on at once. I'm definitely extremely competitive. So, you know, whenever I see something that I'm like, oh, I could do that better. You know, I, I usually do try to do it better and, it, and it's a big commitment. But, um, you know, so my child was definitely the, the trigger point. And you get to a point also that you work to build something. But I saw myself up until that point, I had lost sight of the fact of what I was working for. You know, I think at the end of the day, it comes down to, you know, buying your freedom back. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, what's the purpose of making money? I guess for different people have different, uh, different interpretations on this, but, but in reality, it should be to buy your freedom back because at the end of the day, you really don't have freedom until you have a certain amount of financial success. So I think for me, it was more or less a reprioritization of what I was doing in my life rather than, you know, it wasn't like, I don't want to work anymore. It was, you know, if I'm going to be working this hard, I need to have my priorities straight, you know? And, you know, so that's why it was a big turning point in, you know, from a lot of different perspectives for me. Mm. You, you have a lifestyle that a lot of people admire. A lot of people are trying to attain all of our listeners. You know, most of our listeners will be trying to attain your lifestyle. Like do you, you drive a Rolls Royce, right? Yes, I do. <laughs> yeah, I have, I have that. And, um, I'm waiting. I've ordered a Porsche 918 Spider. Hopefully, I take delivery of that in the next couple months. <laughs> I'm a big car freak, so. Ah, I see. So, look, you you have this lifestyle that a lot of people are working to attain, and and you talk about freedom. You know what? What advice? You know, when you when you've created these businesses, was it always to reach this kind of lifestyle? Was that always the plan, or no? No, I mean, I didn't even realize, you know, I mean, I had a, a large self-realization when, you know, you, you look, I mean, at the time I, you know, I don't want to get into too much personal information, you know, from a medical perspective, but my, mm. you know, my wife was in the hospital as a result of the complications from the pregnancy and they had her in an induced coma. The doctor had told me that, look, don't get your hopes up. Your child's probably not going to make it through the night. And you really go through, you know, I could explain something like that to you, but I think it's not real and you don't go through the emotions until you're in that situation. Mm. And it's, and it's a experience I wouldn't wish on anybody, but I think that at the end of the day, it really allowed me to reflect to my core and see, you know, what's important in my life, you know, and, and, and what am I working towards and how do I make my life more efficient and more streamlined? And how do I make my businesses more efficient and more streamlined that I can enjoy the type of life I want to enjoy. And through that self-reflection, it's made me a much better entrepreneur. It's made me a much better business person, even though I was wildly successful before going through that actually has made me that much better. I mean, right now I vacation or, you know, you call it holiday in some places of the world, but you know, in America, we call it vacation. I vacation probably three to four months out of the year. You know, as soon as the kids are off, you know, we're gone you know, whether it's, you know, during the Christmas holidays or the summertime. So 
in the past, I wasn't able to do this as much because as a, you know, as a small business entrepreneur, you know, you're pretty ingrained in your operation. Mm. But after going through this experience, you know, it kind of forced me, if I want to have live a certain lifestyle, you kind of have to work at it backwards. I need to put certain systems in place and I need to, uh, basically make my business that much better in order for it to be able to support the fact that I'm going to be gone for extended periods. So even though it was a traumatic experience, it's actually was from a professional standpoint, and also personal standpoint, you know, it ended up being one of the best things that could have ever happened to me because like most entrepreneurs, you kind of get ingrained in the day to day and you lose sight of the bigger, the bigger goals and the, and the reason why you're doing it, because it's just about dominating your niche and fighting the daily fight. And you just get sucked into that and, you know, and it's hard to get out of it. it it's very hard to get out of it. Mm. I'm curious have you always created successful businesses or have you had any failures? Have, have you had oh any? Boy, I've, had, I've had a lot of failures too. So I've had a lot of successes as well. And, you know, and one of the reasons it's, is, you know, if you ask me, you know, why am I successful? It's because I'm not afraid to try anything. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to fail. And I, when I was younger and a little bit more stubborn, you know, I probably would say I don't fail because I will work so hard to make it work. And that is true. There's a lot of, I think that if you have that sheer desire and the sheer will, mm. you could be in a failing business and still be successful because if you're working harder than everybody else and you're putting in more hours than everybody else and you're learning more than everybody else, sooner or later, that's going to give you a competitive advantage and you'll be able to exploit that. And that's kind of, you know, when I first started, it was just about, you know, I was working 12 to 16 hours a day, like a robot, mm. you know, non-emotional, complete robot. And what I didn't understand about the different industries I was in, I made up by just, you know, pure man, man hours. And when I, you know, and then if I had any downtime, I was reading and absorbing as much information about the industry I was in. You know, that's definitely a way that a lot of people do get started. But, you know, at, at this stage in my life, you know, obviously it's, it's quite not that way. It's a little bit different, a little bit more analytical. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I can, I can get a feel like, and why that reason is. Have you always had this this drive and determination? You know, I, I grew up looking at the Rob Report. You know, I, I come from a, you know, my parents went through their financial ups and downs, but we always had what, you know, I guess as a child, you really don't realize too much other than, you know, hey, I got, I got toys and, you know, and I have everything I need and, and, and I had everything I needed. So it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't a situation where I would never have to work by any means, but it wasn't a situation that I was in any kind of poverty. You know, so I grew up looking at Rob Report and saying, hey, I want all these cool things and these are toys. And I've always been, you know, infatuated with cars and planes and trains. And, you know, and then at some point you come to the realization that if I, if I work a normal job, I can't have any of this stuff. I mean, this stuff is completely out of reach. So, you know, like I said, early on at age 16, I was, you know, and before 16, you know, I, I would sell different things. And when it was time to sell chocolate bars, I would sell the most chocolate bars in my class and raise the most money for, for, for the class fund or charity or whatever it was in, in, you know, junior high and high school. But for me really was when I graduated high school and I told my family that I was going to start a business, you know, my, my grandparents, my uncles, they all came in one at a time and said, you're going to be a loser. You're going to end up on the street. You know, you're insane. You can never make it without an education. And basically I got the sense that, that, these people don't respect me at all because of the decision I made not to go to, you know, a traditional route to go to a university. And that was kind of a fire that, you know, I mean, I guess people could take it two different ways, but I kind of really took that 
event in that moment. And I made it much larger than maybe and traumatic than what, you know, maybe I should have, but I use that as my fuel and, and, and as a fire to keep me going. And, you know, to this day, sometimes I have conversations with my dad and he's like, you know, who are you, who are you still trying to prove something to? You know, like, I'm like, I don't know, you know, now at this point it's, it's for sport, but you know, when you ingrain something in you like that, you know, you kind of have a lot of passion and a lot of fire with whatever you're doing. So that was definitely the driving force for many, many years. And, you know, to this day, it's easy to recall those moments and, and definitely be inflamed with some uh, emotion. One thing that I find is, is a difference between successful entrepreneurs and then just the wannabes that want to start a business or think they're an entrepreneur is, is they don't want it bad enough. And That's for sure. People, everybody says they want it bad enough. Mm. Everybody says that they want to start a business. They want this lifestyle. They want the cars. They want the jets, the boats, the plane, you know, whatever, the, the fancy house. Mm. But the reality is Friday night, my friends are going out and getting laid. I'm 21 years old. I'm 20 years old. I'm 19 years old. I'm at my shop working and I'm too exhausted to go out. I'm working till 8 p.m. I go home and I crash. On Thursday night, when you know people are getting together at family functions or whatever event, going to the movies, you know I'm studying. You know, so there is a direct correlation for a trade that you make in a certain amount of your life that you give up for what you get. And you know, while everybody says they want it, you know, and I look around myself, and I'm not saying other people, you know, there's plenty of people that are more successful than me, but the common theme in all those people was there was there was an extreme sacrifice at some point in life where just other people were not willing to do. They weren't willing not to see their kids. They weren't, you know, I couldn't have a stable relationship with with a female because I was working like an animal, you know, for for eight years. I was going to school at night, working seven days a week. I took one vacation, I think, in a six-year period. And it was over, you know, the Thanksgiving holidays and everything was closed anyways. But, you know, otherwise I was working anyways during the during that time period. So, you know, so there was a lot of sacrifices that that I made from not developing maybe normal friendships, not developing normal relationships with uh, you know, uh, with girlfriends, not seeing my family for extended periods because I was working so much you know, sacrificing in that, even though I had cash flow, I was living in an apartment, sharing an apartment with a friend, even though I, you know, I could have afforded a house um, earlier than I bought one, but that money was being plowed back into my business. So these are the types of sacrifices that people say, oh, I'm willing to make the sacrifice. But, you know, the second Saturday night rolls around, they're out at a club spending money instead of really doing what it takes. And, and it's not about doing it for a month or six months. It's about doing it for extended periods. Mm. And at what point when you started off as an entrepreneur at an early age, did you realize that, yep, this is going to work, I'm going to make it? And at what stage did you hit tipping point? I don't think you ever, I don't think you ever <laughs> realized that, you know, to this day, I wake up, when I wake up, I jump out of bed. Yeah. And I mean, I, by any means, I don't feel poor. And I, and I don't want to use foul language, but you really have to mind fuck yourself into getting this feeling of terror when you wake up in the morning that drive that, that you drive to work that morning like you're dead broke. You know, when I when I wake up in the morning, I wake up like a dead broke like a dead broke person. I don't have a penny to my name. And I work and I fight as if I'm broke. And and I think that fire has allowed me also to keep what I, what I've 
accumulated because, you know, I had a lot of success early on and a lot of people have success, but it's hard for them to keep it. Making it is one thing. I think maintaining it and growing it and being able to keep it and continuing to be good at what you do requires another skill set. And for me, it's a very psychological skill set in that I still treat every day. You know, I wake up with the same feeling of like, you know, hey, I still got to. Yeah, it is. It's a feeling of urgency. And, you know, so that that's my perspective on that. So mm. you talk about you have a good skill around scaling businesses. Can you tell us more around your insights, you know, what our audience can learn in regards to scaling businesses? You know, I learned early on that part of being a successful entrepreneur is knowing where your skills end and where you need to hire or surround yourself with the right type of people. So part of it is controlling your ego. It's very easy for me to show up and say, hey, I could be the best at everything and do everything. But that's not the reality of the situation. You know, you have to be so honed in your skill set that you kind of know where that skill set ends. And for me, I'm a builder. I'm a creator and a builder. I'm a horrible day-to-day manager. So, you know, basically in the life of most of my businesses, you know, I'm very good at building them and I'm very good in the chaos of, of the growth and, you know, the struggle from, you know, whether it's, you know, creating the cash flow and, you know, and, and managing that growth curve. But, you know, once it's stabilized, I'm, I'm not the best day-to-day manager. So, so, you know, when, when you scale a business, it requires, I guess, a different skill set, and, you know, and that's kind of my skill set. And, and basically I've brought on partners or really strong managers when businesses have hit a certain level to do the day-to-day operations, because, you know, at, at some point, you know, the, the, the type of skills that are required to get it there aren't necessary anymore. I see. So in an essence, in a way, you're, you're really good at, at finding great people to work with or work for you. Yeah. I mean, I mean, people are obviously a huge component, you know, early on, I, I tried to do everything myself and, you know, and, and I was, you know, not that I wasn't successful at it, but, you know, sometimes it might take me three hours to, to, to do something when, if you have someone that's really good around you, they can probably get it done in 30 minutes. So really knowing what you're, what you're good at and what you're not is important, but also you can't ignore what you're not good at. You need to supplement it with, with, with people and tools around yourself. So, you know, you have a well-rounded operation or else the the business will never really grow. Mm. I'm going to push you a little more on that, Steve, because I've tried, you know, hiring and stuff with what I do and it's not easy, man. Like what what do you look for when, when you are looking to scale and bring on people and, you know, help, help you grow the business? Like, what do you look for? What are the specifics? Is there anything that you do around that to make sure that you're bringing on good people that, you know, really help feel the growth. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely, um, different, different factors depending on, I guess, you know, the type of position or who you're looking for. Generally though, I'm not afraid of bringing in hungry people and hungry people don't scare me. Let me put it that way. I want someone working for me that wants my job. Okay. Because if he's willing to do what I do, then he can have my job, you know? And the reality is most people aren't willing to do what I do. Mm. So and I think that a lot of entrepreneurs, especially when you get started, people are afraid of having people that are too hungry around them, that it would either displace them, it would, they would leave with their business or it would, you know, or if that person, you know, would somehow take over their business or start a competing business. And that's just all bullshit. So I think that, you know, you got to create an environment and a structure that you can have hungry people around you 
and allow them to push you forward. So I think, you know, from one perspective, you know, when I go to look for a partner in a project or a business, I'm actually looking for someone who's even a little bit more aggressive than me, even a little bit smarter than I am, you know, and really what comes down is my job is managing them rather than, you know, managing all the pieces. So, Mm. and I think that's where a lot of people, you know, maybe fail, you know, I haven't been in the e-commerce side of things for, you know, probably about 15 years. So I know certain businesses are a little bit different, but when you, when you're talking about a service-based business, this is absolutely true. You know, I want people around me that are better than me, that are more aggressive than me, that are hungrier than me, and you got to give them the opportunities. Can you give us an insight into some of the things that haven't worked and your lessons that you've learned that our audience can learn? Absolutely. Giving too much control and decision-making power to people before they've proved themselves or before they've been with you long enough. I mean, I mean, there's, I mean, it's a laundry list of lessons that, that I've been through. I mean, I've, I've had deals where I've lost millions of dollars and it was because, you know, unfortunately there was the, the wrong person captaining the ship, even though it was my ship, you know, so things like that happen and you, and you, and you absolutely use it as a learning experience and you put systems in place that things like that don't happen in the future. I think as an entrepreneur, especially, you know, if, if you're dealing with smaller business, and when I say smaller business, I mean less than 100 employees. You know, I have about 50, 52 employees right now. And, you know, most small businesses, you know, in my mind are on that under the 100 employee mark. And you always don't have the resources to run everything through a committee. You don't always have a formal, you know, board of directors that you could bounce ideas off of. But, you know, one thing that I've done is, you know, made it a point to create kind of an advisory board within each organization that I'm a part of that you could run some decisions through. So you're not always shooting from the hip or you're not always the ultimate decision maker or whoever the ultimate decision maker is. There is some check and balance to, because I think, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs are like, Hey, I got it to this point. I can make every decision and, you know, and, and it's always going to be right. And that's not the case. Do you have, um, like, can you maybe give us our top three lessons you've learned from some business failures you've had? Yeah, I mean, they're pretty common ones, which is, you know, don't put all your eggs in one basket. You know, if you're going to, um, you know, one thing I've learned early on is don't partner with people that have more power, money or resources than you. You know, that one's important because you always don't know people's motives. And a lot of people have ulterior motives. And in a blink of an eye, you could lose everything you've built. So I've made it pretty much a you know rule of mine that, you know, I won't do business with somebody if they have more resources than I have in any particular field. You know, that's just kind of a rule of thumb. I just won't do it Mm. because I never want to be at that, at the mercy of that person or have that disadvantage. You know, beyond that, it comes down to systems and measurements. And, you know, you have a lot of businesses that run and they're not taking advantage of all the data that they have access to. They're not taking advantage of all the information that they have within their organization. You know, and one thing that I'm, you know, fairly decent at is, is trying to exploit as many of the data points as possible in order to, uh, you know, gain a little bit of knowledge as far as, you know, where the organization is heading and, you know, how can we monetize on some of this information that we have? And that's something that, you know, a lot of small businesses, they get ingrained in the day to day and they don't even think about, you know, their mind doesn't even make it there. Mm. Can you give us an example of like, um, some, some places where you've implemented systems in your business? Absolutely. You know, I mean, just 
you know, from a, if we, if we just talk about from a marketing perspective, you know, we keep track of incoming clients from, you know, zip code, area code, you know, like from a, let's say from a law firm perspective, we keep track of different insurance companies and absolutely every piece of data that, that you would keep in, let's say a CRM or some sort of a, you know, management system, a database management system. We run that data and we compare it and try to manipulate it and try to see if, if there is something there that we can use to our advantage. And it's really something that the larger companies are doing. When, you know, you look at IBM or the large, mm. you know, hospitals or, you know, insurance companies or, you know, the search companies, the tech companies, the larger companies are doing this. But, you know, when you get down to the smaller businesses, the smaller operations, they're not really efficient or good at taking advantage of, you know, the different data points that already exist. They're keeping track of anyways. And a lot of times, you know, we'll look at something and we'll be like, because we're keeping track of these data points, you know, we'll find a pocket that we can grow in. We could find sometimes new business models that we could exploit because we have this information at our fingertips that you wouldn't otherwise have, you know, whether it's your client's behavior or, or consumer's behavior or, you know, your vendors or, you know, the counterparties to who you're dealing with. So you always got to keep track of everything. Mm, yeah, no, that's, that's a great one. Measuring, measuring is so important. Yeah. Most people are like, okay, sales margin, you know, what's my net, what's my gross, you know, and then they keep track of, you know, whatever line items they keep track of in their accounting software. And that's about it, you know, and that's just, it's, you know, I mean, that's just the tip of the iceberg. You know, I think in our current business, you know, we, we have a custom, you know, software system that we came up with. You know, I want to say we keep track of somewhere around 1100 data points, which is, you know, and if you look at comparable other people that are our size and what they're keeping track of, I guarantee you we're keeping track of three to four times as many data points. Mm -hmm. So, and sometimes you keep track of a certain data point and you don't even know what it's useful for yet. And that's the key word. So you never know when you, when you need access to a particular type of data. And if you have it there, you're going to be just that much better, that much ahead of the curve and that much more efficient. Hmm. You know, that, that's a great lesson there. Well, look, um, we have to work towards wrapping up, man, but um, I know you're writing a book soon and, you know, we, we connected on Instagram. I'd like to hear, one, your thoughts on, I'm curious, like playing around on Instagram and, and you know, building, you know, this, this network of accounts that you're building as opposed to the businesses that you're running now, like most would think that that's not the best investment of your time. I, I want to touch on that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, you're not the first person to tell me that, <laughs> you know, I mean, the whole thing with Instagram, you know, for me initially, you know, it wasn't, I didn't look at it as, as anything other than I wanted to be involved in the technology because one thing that you need to do as an entrepreneur is always think about the future. And part of thinking about the future is, thinking about, you know, what type of technology is going to be out there in the future. So for me, it was more or less a social experiment. I wanted to learn the platform. I knew it was a platform that people half my age are on, you know, I'm, I'm 38 years old. So, you know, I think most users are between 18 and 22 on Instagram. So, mm -hmm. so literally half my age. So, but for me, it was like, look, I, I want to learn this and I want to be relevant in this because it's going to make me a better entrepreneur and it's going to give me some insight into my own business and where businesses are going to end up 
10 years down the road, five years down the road. So initially for me, it wasn't really to like create this huge audience and try to monetize it or really do anything other than what I said. I, I, you know, I just need to be involved and I need to know, you know, what is this platform and what kind of knowledge or information can I get out of it? And then from there, you know, I posted a couple motivational quotes and that seemed to have, you know, taken off. And, you know, so now we have a pretty fast growing, uh, you know, account called Agent Steven. You know, I'm coming out with, uh, actually, we're releasing a book this week coming out, I, I want to say in about two days or so. And it's really about goals because I feel like, uh, you know, a lot of people don't know and a lot of messages I get on Instagram or, you know, people don't know where to start or how to get started or they have an idea or they have a goal and, and they don't know how to get started on that idea or the goal. So, and I think it has to do with a lack of goal setting um, knowledge. So a lot of what the book is about is how do you turn your goals into reality? And the name of the book is actually called Dominate Your Goals, How to Achieve Results in, in, you know, you know, in Life. And, and I think it's a foundational issue because, uh, you know, where do you start if you have this great idea? Mm. And can you give us a little bit of an insight into what you do to attain your goals? Besides attacking them ridiculously, <laughs> you know, a, a lot of a lot of what I've learned through the years, and a lot of what's made me more and more efficient, and in kind of what you see with certain entrepreneurs, you know, not certain actually, most entrepreneurs, you know, it, you're either a one hit wonder or you keep getting better at what you do, mm. you know. And people always say, "Oh, Steve, you got the golden touch." Huh, trust me, it's not the golden touch. It's called, you know, I'm focused on my goals and I know how to achieve results. And if I can achieve more results per hour than you, Nathan, I will always be more successful than you. Mm. Because at the end of the day, it comes down to results per day, per hour, whatever you want to call it, you know? So, you know, this thing's a marathon and let's say you got to take a thousand steps to get to the, to the end goal. You know, whoever's the most efficient at taking the most steps per day is going to get there faster. So part of what I discuss in the book is you know, when you go through your goal setting exercises, you really only need one or two at the most overarching goals, long-term goals. And those one or two goals, really, if the goal is set up properly, it will fulfill you both personally and professionally. Let's just take, for instance, you know, Nathan, you say, hey, you know, 10 years from now, I don't want to have a day job. I want to be able to live life on my own terms and I want a vacation, you know, 24 hours a day, right? Mm -hmm. So, that's going to require you to do certain things in your professional life in order to be financially stable, in order to be able to do that in 10 years. And it's going to also require you to do certain things in your personal life. So basically, then what do you do on a day-to-day -day basis? And you, got, and you got to just chip away at it. So the more clear you are in the direction of your future, the more effective you're going to be in making decisions on a day-to-day -day basis. So if I know what I'm working towards 10 years from now and I don't have this big, long to-do list. Those are bullshit. You know, people that use big, long to-do lists, they just make themselves feel good because they checked a bunch of boxes off, you know, and they feel, they feel accomplished, mm. you know, but really it should come down to what one or two critical things are you doing every day to move you towards your goal? Mm. What are you doing every single day? It's critical things. Not, I'm not talking about, I paid my electricity bill, you know, that that's should not be on a to-do list. You know, so your, your to-do list needs to be, you know, critical things you're doing on a daily basis to move yourself towards your longer term goal. So, you know, at this stage of my life, I have a goal for each business, but all that ties into, you know, a much larger personal goal. So 
you know, I juggle, I want to say I have about six or seven businesses right now. And it's very easy for me. You know, I come in, I am very clear on what I need to get done. I also practice selective ignorance, which is I ignore 99% of the things that happen in my day. If it's not going to bring me towards my goal, I'm not going to respond to that email. I'm not going to respond to that phone call or that letter because it's not relevant. It's not bringing me any closer to my goals. So a lot of how you achieve your goals and how you achieve results is actually learning to ignore things that are not essential, learning to say no to people, learning to say no to, you know, engagements and people that want to, you know, you might get some small social benefit out of it, but it's not going to bring you any closer to your goal. And really you got to act in a very, um, you know, one plus one equals two, you know, you know, does this bring me closer to my goal? If the answer is no, I'm not going to do it. Mm. And you got to make that a habit. So when you are focused on a particular project or a business, every action you do should bring you closer to that goal. And if it doesn't, you don't do it, you know, and it's just, it's pretty simple. You know, we get into a little bit of depth about, you know, how you need to think. A lot of it has to do with your mindset and kind of reprogramming your brain to think a certain way, but it's, it's simple and really anybody can learn how to do it. So, and I think that's what makes serial entrepreneurs better and better as they go along because they've kind of mastered that the goal setting and, you know, how to focus on the projects, the project at hand. And, you know, and that's what gives people the golden touch. It's not that they have a golden touch. It's just, they have that system down. So at this stage, I could apply it to really any business. And, you know, and I'm in very diverse businesses right now from technology to, you know, I have the marketing company, um, chairman of the, you know, one of the oldest and largest law firms in the, in, in the United States, you know, we run their whole California operations, you know, I'm, I'm involved in a couple other professional service firms. And all this is only possible because I have absolute clarity as to what my goals are. And as a result, it makes me super efficient in my actions. So I have enough time in my day to do everything where most people wouldn't even be able to juggle one of those tasks or one of those businesses. Mm, now, this is this is awesome, man. This is great. And this is something we touched on personally, too. It's it's really like you are very, very good at moving the needle forward every single day. And you know what? And that's all it takes. Unfortunately, in my life, I've never had that huge win. You know, I've never had that windfall where someone wrote me, you know, a $10 million check or a $50 million check. Mm. You know, I've done it dollar by dollar, inch by inch. You know, I think mm. the most I've sold a business for was around $8 million. You know, one of my ventures right now is probably worth somewhere in, you know, I don't, I don't know, maybe $25 million or more, you know, but it's, but it, but it's been done by, you know, literally I don't come to work to get a big win. I come to work to move, like you said, move that needle forward just a little bit, but you know what? I don't go home. I don't actually, actually I've trained myself to the point where I don't take a lunch. I don't leave my desk unless I get my critical tasks done. And that's just not because I'm punishing myself, but because it's just good habit and I've developed that habit. So if I'm not being effective in my day, you know, I'm going to stay until I'm effective. And like I said, doing a bunch of tasks doesn't make you effective. You know, moving that needle that little bit forward, you know, clawing another inch forward is what makes you effective. And I think a lot of people lose sight of quantity versus quality. It's really not the quantity of what you do in a day that makes you successful. It's the quality of what you do. I mean, I can come to work and do two things all day and have a successful day versus someone who has 30 things on a checklist and they get it all done, but they haven't done anything to improve their life. They haven't done anything to bring them closer to their goals. So I think that's something where, you know, a lot of people need some help to get that clarity and, and, uh, and it, it makes a huge difference. You're absolutely right. Yeah, no, that was, that was awesome, man. Last question and we'll wrap up this interview. It's, 
it's just like, do you have, you know, any last words of wisdom, advice for our audience of aspiring and early stage entrepreneurs and founders? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, there's just, I mean, there's so much. We'll, we'll go another hour. Um, but really, really what it comes down to is nothing great is going to be achieved without real sacrifice. And don't be afraid of the sacrifice. You know, the one thing that looking back that I did right was I sacrificed from 18 to, I'd say, 26, that eight-year period. I, I literally sacrificed it all, you know, and I was a machine and it was so hard when I was going through it, you know, because you start losing friends because they think you're not giving attention to this friendship, then you must not care about me. And, and I lost a lot of friends and I lost, you know, I didn't spend the type of time I should have with my family and I didn't develop the type of relationships I should have developed. And that's, that's a real cost of growing and creating something and, you know, moving yourself towards your goals. But in retrospect, when I look at it, I absolutely did it during the right time of my life versus doing it right now. Mm. You know, I have kids right now and I would feel, I already felt bad then. I would feel 10 times worse now if I had to ignore them and, and kind of have that, you know, mechanical robotic mindset of, I got to be a robot for the next 10 years and claw myself inch by inch. So, you know, my advice is do it today or yesterday. You should have done it yesterday. If you didn't do it yesterday, do it today and make as much sacrifice as possible because every year that goes by, it doesn't get any easier. You know, there's more life obligations. There's more, you know, every type of obligation increases as, as time goes on, you know, and I tell people, you know, it does, it takes seven to 10 years. I mean, everybody's trying to make a quick dollar. Everybody's trying to get rich overnight or in a year or two. And, I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but that's the exception to the rule. The rule is if you're willing to make a long-term sacrifice, really immerse yourself into the industry or the field you're in, then you'll make it. But just know it's not a short journey. I mean, it's a long journey and you got to just stick with it and you're going to want to quit so many times, but that's just, you know, that's just the way it is. If it was easy, everybody would do it, right? Mm, That's right. Uh, Man, I have to ask you one more question. And that is during that period of sacrifice where you said you weren't that social and, and stuff like that, do you think it is possible to have it all, like achieve the kind of success that you've achieved, but also have a little bit of a social life, you know, see your friends and family? Is it, do you think it's possible looking back now? It depends how hungry you are. Mm. Okay. So that's really what it comes down to. And for me, you know, I'm not saying I didn't see my family. I definitely didn't see them anywhere near the amount I wanted to see them. Um, I'm not saying I didn't see my friends, but I rarely saw my friends. But what ends up happening is really your, your friends end up being the people in the industry you're with. Because in order to dominate a particular niche, and by the way, it's, it's not that hard to dominate a niche. We could talk about that if you want. But in order to dominate a niche, you really need to immerse yourself in it. And you have to be everywhere. And you have to be accessible. And you have to really work hard at trying to make connections in that particular niche or that particular field. And that stuff doesn't happen overnight, you know, I mean, and it takes, I mean, the bottom line is, you know, whatever your job is, let's say, you know, you're in the magazine industry, you know, when you're done with your day job, which is, you know, running your magazine and doing the day-to-day operations and doing all that stuff that probably already takes you 10 to 12 hours a day. Now you're going to spend whatever free time you have on the phone with other editors reaching out to people, going to dinner with people that are what? That are going to move move the needle forward for you and open opportunities for you 
professionally. And those are the people that are going to become your friends. And Mm. you might not choose those same people to be your friends if you weren't in this industry. You know, the reality is I've kept very few friends from the different types of businesses I've been in. I've now I've definitely found some lifelong friends along the way, but it's very rare because, you know, generally, you know, if you want to dominate something, you really got to be submersed 110%. There's no substitute for that, you know, because, and you know why, Nathan, because if you don't do it, the guy, your competitor down the street nowadays in India, in China, they're doing it. Mm. So, you know, so, I mean, it's a, it's a hyper competitive world. So you have to make that sacrifice until you establish yourself. Once you're established, I agree, you can have it all. Once you're established, you can go into a little bit of a maintenance mode and create that time for yourself. And then once you're financially secure, it becomes easier because, you know, as you become more financially secure, you've created a barrier of entry for your competitors as well. You know, like uh, perfect example, one of the businesses, you know, let's say my ad agency right now, there's only one or two other competitors that I have. And you know what? I'm not worried about some guy breaking in because the barrier of entry is high, you know, and and you see this in a lot of the big businesses that are out there. You know, the barrier of entry is so high. Who's going to go compete with Uber right now? You know, what are you going to go raise hundred billion dollars? You know, the barrier of entry is too high. Mm. So you get that competitive advantage and you get that high barrier of entry by just completely being a robot and sacrificing and creating, supercharging your network and your connections. And, you know, the amount of hours you're putting in, because there's no substitute for a founder or an entrepreneur, you know, doing those type of things in their own business, you know, and once you've been doing it for seven years, 10 years, you've been putting in 30, 40 hours a week, more than your competitors, more than everybody else. Now you're successful, but you also have three, 4,000 hours 30, 40,000 hours on top of them that they're not going to be able to make up that lost ground. They're not going to make that sacrifice. So that's the way I look at it. You know, there's a lot of different, you know, there's a lot of different ways to get to the same end point. But the way I look at it is if you want to dominate a niche, if you want to be the person in a particular niche, that's the only way. There's no other way. You know, if you're going to take your mom in for, you know, heart surgery or a family member in for heart surgery, you know, you're going to go to that guy. Who are you going to go to? You know, so you're going to go to the guy who, you know, he's dedicated his life to that field, to becoming the preeminent expert in whatever that particular procedure is. And business is completely the same way. I mean, it's not, it's not any different. Yeah, no, look, um, look, that was a great answer. And, you know, thank you so much for taking the time, man. No problem. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.